millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Every day brings new questions. Whether it's the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey or the latest in government and policy, we have an ear for what's next at home and around the world. Stand with the facts. Start your day tomorrow with NPR's Morning Edition. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 27th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear from a Mississippi congressman on tax reform as the focus shifts from health care to dollars and cents. Meanwhile, the state treasurer speaks on a new effort to educate students on finance. Every bill that goes through the legislature up there, I can find a thousand reasons to vote no on it and a thousand reasons to vote yes. A Mississippi organization working to promote racial reconciliation is reaching out to all generations by encouraging people to talk about race. And find out where analysts are finding high risk for flooding in public schools. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Members of Congress are turning their attention to tax reform now that another attempt at a new health care plan has not been successful. Republican House members are expected to attend a retreat today to discuss a tax overhaul effort at the National Defense University in Washington. Vice President Mike Pence, Wisconsin Congressman Paul Ryan, and Texas Congressman Kevin Brady are slated to speak on a new plan. Republican Congressman Trent Kelly represents the 1st District in Mississippi. Just before his return to Washington, he spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier on what he's seeking for Mississippians. We've had a plan since January on the Republican side. Hopefully it'll be bipartisan. Things just work better when we work together and we want the same things. Uh, simpler is easier. Uh, for the regular con- uh, the regular person like you and I, we want something that's simple. We don't want to have to spend uh, 10 days doing our taxes and then worry whether we're right or wrong. So it's postcard size for the individuals. We want rates to come down for the middle class and the lower class to bring those down. And then the corporate tax code to be simpler. But now it's a little more complex than what the individuals do. But right now we're just overtaxed. Uh, we're losing a competitive edge overseas to foreign companies because our tax code is so high. We're one of the highest tax uh, on manufacturers in, in, the, in the world. Critics are saying that the tax plan is going to benefit the wealthy the most. They always say that. Whichever side's in charge, the other ones say that. And uh, it's just not true. And at the end of the day, um, we want to help the middle class people. And that's what we're going to focus on. But I'll, I'll tell you, every bill that goes through the legislature up there, I can find a thousand reasons to vote no on it and a thousand reasons to vote yes. And I just choose to have a positive attitude. And what I care about is doing the best thing for the majority of my constituents in the 1st District of Mississippi. And we will continue to do that. And that means uh, there's not a lot of rich folks up in northeast Mississippi that I know of or I haven't come into contact with, and they're regular people like you and me, and those are the people we want to help. Well, thank you so much for coming in and and spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank Thank you you for having me. The new framework on tax reform is expected to be unveiled this week. Back in the state, Treasurer Lynn Fitch is teaming up with other state leaders on a program that aims to teach financial literacy 
to all Mississippi communities. Attorney General Jim Hood, the Mississippi Council for Economic Education, and Mississippi State University's Extension Service are all part of this two-year collaborative effort. The program, called Making Sense of Your Dollars and Cents, will work to advance financial education in Mississippi schools and communities. The program will focus on teacher uh, training and incentives, innovative learning experiences for students, and building a financial network. Treasurer Fitch defines financial literacy for us. I think financial literacy is the opportunity to understand and be empowered by money. Empowered by money. How old or how young can a person be before they should start learning about financial literacy? In order to be taught in all the different levels and provide the consistency, financial education should start as early as a touch can be. Kindergarten, elementary, middle school, high school, and then you can touch again even in um, your community colleges and in your universities. I think it's so important because that makes that individual much more versed in understanding money, purchasing power, the opportunity to you know, live their life to the best and the most uh, well-afforded. Tell us about this initiative, who's involved and what the goal is. So what a great initiative to have partnered with the Attorney General. Jim Hood is the Attorney General, and this partnership is called Making Sense of Your Dollars and Cents. And so there was a settlement that was brought about by the Attorney General with two banks and three credit rating agencies. And so it's been infusion of $2.5 million over two years. And how is that money going to be used in the classroom? This is an exciting opportunity. Let me tell you where the focus is. It's primarily going to be focused through TEAM, which is Treasurer's Education About Money Initiative and MCEE. The focus is going to be on the teachers. One, it's going to be expanding the teacher training at all levels, K-12, including new teacher certifications in financial education. So this is going to be a tremendous opportunity for those teachers. Second of all, it's going to provide incentives to the teachers in the schools to incorporate financial education into their student study. So an example there would be as an incentive to get more teachers to do reality fairs and get their teams to the finance challenge, these teachers will receive some financial incentives. Now, what do you mean by reality fairs? Reality fairs are allow these young people, based on grades, that becomes what their volume of money is, what their purchasing power, and they learn how to go in and buy a car, a house. What do they have at the end of the day? Did they put any up for savings? Do they truly have um, a rainy day? Um, what do they have on their credit card? So this is a, a, an opportunity to experience day-to-day activities, life experiences through their own money through a reality fair. And it's done at, at different levels. Many times you'll see it done um, at freshman classes or all through the high schools. Does the training of the teachers happen over the same period of time? And what's involved in that? Well, Mississippi Council on Economic Education does a fantastic job of training our teachers. They have some master's of economic certifications now. So it is an entire training process that they have set out. And you have to meet all the qualifications, go through the educational instruction before you can obtain your certification. And that will be very applicable to the the new financial education certificate that these teachers from K-12 could receive. What is the most positive outcome? that this whole initiative can have? Oh, truly, this is a positive impact because it will affect every child's life and their teacher's life. Remember, teachers are critical to the well-being and the learnedness of a child. 
teachers have a wide circle of influence, and they're extremely important in a child's life, in the community, in organizations, in their churches, and so on. But to have this brought in, it, it's very powerful in the sense that it makes a positive impact for this young student, and they become empowered by money instead of being afraid by money. And when they are empowered, it begins to change the financial culture of our state. It also makes them a good steward of their dollars. It means they're going to be a good steward, whether they're an entrepreneur or work with someone or whatever their life's path is. They will be very empowered by money. This is called Making Sense of Your Dollars and Cents. It's a financial education initiative. Treasurer Lynn Fitch is part of it. The Attorney General Jim Hood is part of it. The Mississippi Council on Economic Education is part of it. And the Mississippi State University Extension Service. You're all doing this together. And uh, it sounds like a good program for our teachers and their students. Treasurer Lynn Fitch, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so very much. I appreciate it. Coming up, the state's faith-based community comes together to talk racial reconciliation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Every day brings all these new questions, whether it's about the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey or the latest in government and policy. We are listening for what's next at home and around the world. Stand with the facts. Start your day tomorrow with NPR's Morning Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi organization is reaching across generations to encourage people to talk about race and the feelings they're reluctant to share. Mission Mississippi says it's creating environments and opportunities to engage in changing race relations throughout the state by building relationships across racial lines. The organization held its annual racial reconciliation celebration Monday at the Jackson Convention Complex. During the day-long event, people met in small groups discussing the tools needed to execute change. Jeff Bird is pastor of First Baptist Church of Fannin. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier developing a relationship with a fellow volunteer was a learning lesson for him. Uh, active listening to each other is, is a key role in that. It's just uh, knowing that he what he holds dear and what I hold dear and we respect each other enough to be able to talk about it and to have those kind of conversations because we have a relationship built. And I think that's the big point of it is that's the first block is building a relationship with each other. How do you build relationships across generations? Because I understand one of the goals here is to get the generations talking. I'm a student pastor, and so I deal with teenagers all the time. And it's one thing that we try to do in our church is we pair up uh, through mentoring and through modeling. Uh, we find a senior adult, and we pair them up to it with a teenager just so they can have lunch or they can be there for each other and, and to help each other walk through. Because it hadn't really been in the, in the scheme of time there really hasn't been that big of a difference uh, when they were there. Uh, These adults have gone through and they walk through these things. And so uh, I think it's important for them to be able to have those conversations, say, hey, I'm not alone in this. What are the challenges of doing that? The challenges are time uh, is a big thing. uh, People are busy. People have their own lives and they have their own responsibilities. And so getting them to actually be able to meet is, is a huge challenge. But once they meet and once they see value in it, then they move forward and they go on. And there have been some great relationships built because of that. Being able to have somebody older to pour into a life of a younger student is invaluable. Though. In the midst of talking about racial reconciliation, we're dealing with so many issues in society where there seems to be a breakdown, mm-hmm. even with the state flag and how it's dividing people. How do you feel about that? How do you 
talk about that with folks? I think, like I said before, it's a relationship. First of all, you have to have a mutual respect for each other to be able to have those relationships. Say, hey, I'm not attacking you as a person. Hey, I'm not attacking. I need to know what, what you're feeling and what's your background and what's your perception of it so I can have a better understanding myself. I think information is power. Because if I don't know what you're thinking, and I might say something that offends you, but if you don't, if we don't have the relationship that you can say, hey, you know, that really hurts, that really bothers me, that's really something that, that you said that, that offended me. If we don't have that respect for each other as, as human beings or as, as, as children of God or, or creations of God, then we can't have those. You go off and have a conversation with somebody else, and it builds on that that, that I might not have ever known that I said something that that offended you I might have meant it in a totally different way and most recently we saw the president make some comments that some folks say was divisive were Mm -hmm. divisive and had racist connotations in terms of sports figures how do you feel about that and bridging the gap because these are issues that people harbor they are yeah, absolutely. And it's, again, it's one of those things we have to be able to have a conversation about. I think it's not something that should have been taken out in, in the social media world. I think it's something that we have to be able to have one-on-one conversations with. I think it would have been better suited if it would have been in a conversation in a, in a closed setting with the people who were involved instead of taking it out to the whole world. And that goes back to that mutual respect and that we have to respect our brothers and we have to love our brothers and we have to understand our brothers. But how can we do that without having the conversation about it? Thank you so much for sharing with us. We appreciate it. No problem. Nettie Winters is president of Mission Mississippi. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier people should take personal responsibility for their actions. When you talk about racial reconciliation, so many of us have different connotations of what that means from a secular standpoint, from a Christian standpoint. So today is challenging the body of Christ to rethink racial reconciliation and just simply live a lifestyle of reconciliation because we have been reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. That makes us brothers and sisters. So we need to live that out. We have been completely transformed, changed. And so therefore now we're new creatures and new creations in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What we need to do now is to live out the reconciliation that we have. Now, to say that sounds easy, but it's not easy because we have to learn to do that. And so rather than spending time talking about or challenging each other to be reconciled, why don't we just really live out what we already have? And that's the challenge for Christians today, to live out reconciliation. So we're asking people to live a lifestyle of reconciliation. And so today we're going to connect generations racially in a godly and productive way. Some people might say, how do you do that in a state with the Confederate flag flying, which some find offensive? How do you get to the point where you can encourage people to see each other beyond color? Well, you know, for years now, we've let signs and symbols and statues and statues, not just statues, but state statues, hinder us from doing what God has called us to do. That has nothing to do with what God has called us to do. There's nothing hindering us, flag or anything. There's nothing hindering us from loving one another. We just need to obey God and do what we're supposed to do. And all that other stuff will work itself out. We're carried away with things. You know, when you move the symbol, sign, you got to replace it with something. So what are you going to replace it with? We say from the body of Christ, our sign is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our banner is Jesus. 
Some refer to some of the things that the president does as being divisive and having racist connotations. The Charlottesville, not uh, denouncing it as adequately as some might like criticizing uh, sports figures for kneeling. These types of things are having an impact on people. Yeah. Mission Mississippi goal is to bring people together. And so we try to create environments where it's safe to talk about issues like that. And so without commenting one way or the other, our goal is to bring people together, create an environment of trust, of respect, and truth. Well, what do you do when they bring these issues up? Because they've got to come up. What I do when they bring the issues up is deal with it from a Christian perspective. Again, as the body of Christ come together and do what Christians are supposed to do, that don't mean we ignore that. That don't mean that that we don't deal with reality. But the point of the matter is, is that the last I saw, God didn't call the White House, anyone in the White House, to do what Christians ought to do. Now, if a Christian happened to be there, then they have responsibility to do that. However, the president is not dividing us. We're dividing ourselves. He can say whatever you want to say. You can say whatever you want to say. That doesn't mean that I have to be divided over something that he said. I don't have to be divided over someone taking a knee to make a demonstration. I have to live out my truth, and my truth is what God says. One of the things we live in is we live in a society that must be accountable and responsible, individually and collectively. All of a sudden now we're looking to the governor or the government, or we're looking to something other than ourselves, what the president says or what the athletes does or whatever those people do shouldn't affect how we operate. That's why I'm calling this thing living a lifestyle of reconciliation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mission Mississippi President Nettie Winters with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, find out if the schools in your county are at high risk for flooding. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Everybody wants to know more about exercise. Current guidelines suggest 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity or 75 minutes per week of vigorous intensity aerobic exercise for all U.S. adults. The question is, how much benefit can you get from how much exercise? Well, we now know. A large study published in the uh, Journal of the American College of Cardiology has figured out how much exercise it takes to get the maximum long-term health benefit. And unfortunately for me, it's a lot. The news is it takes nine hours of moderate intensity activity per week or almost five hours of vigorous activity to achieve the maximum cardiovascular benefit. The good news is... The benefit starts with any exercise, so if you can't do that much, you still get a good benefit. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. 
You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Some of Mississippi's public schools are at risk for flooding. Across the country, nearly 4 million students attend public schools in the United States that are in a high flood risk area. In Mississippi, the Gulf Coast and Mississippi River Corridor are among those areas having the highest composite flood risk score. Because flash floods can strike at a moment's notice, threatening the safety of students, teachers, and the surrounding community, the Pew Charitable Trust examines flood risk at all, in all 50 states, how this differs across regions, and what policymakers can do to help reduce this risk to their schools. The comprehensive report released last month gives each county a composite flood risk score. Tunica County has one of the highest inland risk scores. Laura Lightbody is a project director at the Pew Charitable Trust. She tells us more about the study. The Pew Charitable Trust undertook research to analyze over 96,000 schools across the United States that occupy more than 50 million students to really understand how schools are impacted by flooding. The research analyzes public school data across all 50 states and the factors that influence their risk to flooding, and we gave each county a flood risk score. That score is an indication of the potential risk that county faces and their schools to flooding. How do states compare to Mississippi, or how does Mississippi compare to other states in terms of flood-prone areas? So the research shows that all 50 states have schools that are vulnerable to flood risk, but that flooding is not just limited to coastal areas. Inland counties are impacted as well. So if you look at that top 100 counties with the highest composite flood risk scores, there are more than 4 million children who attend these schools. So that's nearly 10% of all public school students across the nation. When you look at Mississippi as a state, Mississippi actually has seven counties that fall within that top 100 highest composite flood risk scores. Are those counties along the Mississippi River and then the Gulf Coast? The counties that have the highest composite flood risk scores in Mississippi are coastal and inland. So they're along the Mississippi and they're along the Gulf. When you say that a school district or a school is located in a flood-prone area, that there's risk, what defines a flood? So our research came up with county-level composite flood risk scores based on three factors. One is school's location within a flood hazard area. The second is the community that that school serves and their location within a flood risk area. And the third is a federal disaster declaration, which is when a flood really overwhelms local and state capacity and the federal government is called upon for recovery services. Of course, that was the case with Hurricane Katrina. I mean, schools wiped out and, you know, a terrible situation. How do you want communities or do you want school districts to respond to your data? As we go back to school this fall, you know, it's a good reminder that Flooding and flood preparedness is really a shared responsibility among individuals and families, communities and schools, states, and the federal government. So we really need schools to do their part and be proactive about flooding with an eye towards the future of protecting our generation, our next generation of kids from these flood risks and to reduce the high cost of repair and rebuilding. It's textbook math. 
every $1 invested in preparedness efforts saves us $4 in recovery costs. So let's make that smart investment now before the next flood hits. What kind of preparatory actions can be taken? There are simple things that schools can do in terms of elevating utilities. And then there are sort of larger, more costly activities such as redirecting water or working with the community to enhance stormwater management and drainage systems. Do you recommend that if schools are proposed to be built in flood-prone areas, in actual flood zones, that that decision is reconsidered? We certainly hope that the community and the school work together to consider whether it's a smart investment to build a new school or, frankly, rebuild a school following a disaster in a flood zone. Where can people access the report? The report can be accessed at www.pewtrust.org. Laura Lightbody is the project director of Pew's Flood Prepared Communities Project. Laura, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for your time. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long at 9 o'clock. It's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu.